Welcome to the Center for Internet Security's podcast, Cybersecurity Where You Are. Cybersecurity affects us all, whether we are at home, managing a company, supporting clients, or even running a state or local government. Join CIS's Sean Atkinson and Tony Sager as they discuss trends and threats, ways to implement controls and infrastructure, explore best practices, and interview experts in the industry. We are here to bring clarity to these complex issues to bring confidence in the connected world. Hello and welcome to the show, Cybersecurity, Where You Are. I'm Sean Atkinson, CISO here at the Center for Internet Security, joined by Kathleen, Caitlin, and Ben. Kathleen, um, quick introduction to the audience. Uh, although, you know, I think this is your fourth show with us, so uh, they, they know you well. Thank you. I'm the Chief Technology Officer at Center for Internet Security and have a deep background in internet protocols due to the opportunity I had a few years ago serving as one of the IETF Internet Engineering Task Force Security Area Directors. Wonderful. Thank you, Kathleen. Uh, Caitlin. Yes, hi all. Um, So I am the Research and Innovation Process Lead um, at the Center for Internet Security. So I primarily uh, support Kathleen um, and a lot of her research initiatives and um, especially the innovation processes to kind of facilitate those along. So really enjoyed the experience so far. Wonderful. Thank you. And second time podcaster with us, Ben. Good, good to see you How again, you doing, Sean. Ben? Um, yes, uh, Ben, IoT you. specialist, uh, teammate of Caitlin's and working on in the office of the CTO underneath Kathleen. Wonderful. Thank you so much. And it's great to have you all here, especially with the release of the IoT Embedded Security Guidance documentation. So Kathleen, uh, we de- you developed this, your team uh, put this together. Why did CIS see the need to create such a document? This document has been in the works for a little more than a year, and the planning started well before that. As you know, this type of thing does require some advanced planning, and Ben and Caitlin came on to help with it. In taking a look at what was available for IoT, it was difficult. If somebody or a a vendor, let's say, was going to implement a product and had to decide how they would secure it or even what they should run on their device and what their options would be in terms of protocol stacks, security protocols, the amount of research necessary for them was vast, right? There was no one place to look and find how do I secure my device? What protocol stack should I use? And as such, I'm sure many were not able to do that extensive type of research. So it seemed like a major gap in terms of what was provided. And I wanted to see, since CIS has such rich documents already that are prescriptive and help towards securing devices, working with vendors, working with the community, working with experts, could we do something in the IoT space? Could we help fill that gap and bring together this rich amount of information to allow for faster, more informed decisions based on expert consensus guidance? Absolutely. Well, really thinking about uh, the utility of such a document as well, Kathleen, I mean, for vendors, it really seems like a repository in that space to understand 
necessarily the technologies, the protocol stacks. And I mean, the depth that you really the document goes into on the document and on the protocol stacks, absolutely phenomenal. Is that the envisionment, Kathleen, was to the utility for the vendors in using this guidance? Yes. Let's shorten the time frame for them to understand their full set of options. And then even just to be able to understand the full set of options, because they wouldn't have the research cycles necessarily to do the work that this document does for you. And with the large push for building in security by design and by default, how could you do that without this type of guidance provided and vetted? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think that's one of the most important elements as well, Kathleen, is this has been distributed and managed amongst a number of experts in the space, obviously those present at this call and, and others across the industry, um, which again adds you know, elements of not only implementation validity, but also the practice that there was a gap and we've been able to fill it in this space as well, which is uh, a fantastic element of our community relationships, building this type of consensus uh, approach. And so ultimately, Caitlin, then it leads me to what are the main threats then that this framework that was uh, built is designed to protect against? Yeah, so so there are many, um, given how vast the landscape of IoT is now and um, the attack vectors are, but there are a few kind of key um, threats or areas we had in mind when when drafting this. So uh, kind of towards the end of our guidance, we have some industry recommendations because one thing we're especially concerned about are vulnerable IoT devices in places like hospitals and treatment plants and other critical infrastructure that um, house extremely sensitive data. So for example, um, DICOM, digital imaging and communications and medicine, um, is used in the healthcare industry and extremely vulnerable to attack because their ports can be easily exposed online. So we kind of wrote this in mind for vendors selling to those types of places to ensure built-in security and, and also to have a guide for various protocols to kind of play around with and implement. Um, we're also aware that you know, certain legacy systems might be used to operate some of the devices that can be a huge risk area as well. Um, and additionally, I think we're all aware of security priorities around maintenance and asset management challenges when it comes to IoT devices. So, you know, some organizations may not even be aware that some of their technology is IoT and therefore need some variation in how they manage those devices and update them. Uh, most organizations don't even have visibility into all their IoT endpoint deployments. So um, it's so crucial that vendors are building in as much automated security as possible when it comes to IoT, because even when updates are possible, organizations might not know whether they have devices to update, right? So. In addition to the same threats from, you know, outside malicious actors, especially to things like remote access points, um, network vulnerabilities, malware, there's also this great threat from just a lack of awareness by individuals and organizations knowing their IoT deployments. So, you know, the IoT industry has created a whole lot of opportunity, um, you know, for advancement and productivity, but also these risk areas that we just can't overlook. Um, so the paper we 
we put out will we'll hopefully give vendors and organizations a good um, starting point for how to optimize their security posture, but um, also puts the onus on vendors to account for those risks um, in all the phases of the product life cycle. No, absolutely. And it's opened up opportunities, but also for the attackers in a lot of space as well. So it's uh, it's good that we put this forward in order to promote. Uh, and I think one of the essences, and we'll talk about this uh, in a later question, but is really that full lifecycle approach that you've taken here. Uh, you know, there's elements of shift left, but there's elements of bringing it to the entire lifecycle of a respective product or service in the space. So we want to implement then, Ben, the IoT framework to help uh, IoT manufacturers uh, embed the respective controls into their devices from the design phase. How does this help? Sure. Do uh, that, as Kathleen mentioned earlier, there is a vast amount of research to be done when even just breaching the topic of creating a device and embedding security on these devices. Um, so, so what we have done over the past year, if not close to two now, is, as this whole process developed uh, in creating this document, is we did that research for, for the vendor, um, starting at looking at what the most commonly used protocols are in industry um, and breaking that down into what protocols are compatible with one another, what stacks um, would create them or would be the most secure for these devices. Um, so it's really about compiling all the research and data that's really already out there that's available and bringing it into one concrete location where a vendor can compare apples to apples, what uh, protocols may be the best for their solution um, so it was a very extensive process that definitely incorporated, and we brought in some some industry leading experts and some people that were involved in in writing some of these protocols, and we really wanted to just display um, the these protocols in the easiest way possible, so a a vendor is able to come to this document and say, okay, this is the objective of the device we're trying to create, and this is how we can create that device at the highest level of security possible. Definitely, definitely. I, I tell you, one of the surprises I was reading through, and I was the number of different protocols that exist. And I love what you did with the, you know, kind of like the OSI model diagrams of where they apply through the process. Absolutely fantastic. So again, it was for me another learning experience. Again, I'm I'm always learning from this team, but it was uh, excellent the way it was presented. And I think underlying building that inventory and really the catalog of portfolio helps assess, to your point, Ben, uh, the uh, ability to both uh, articulate the issue and need for respective communication, but also the integration and the security requirements. It then leads us, Ben, to this other question that I had with uh, in terms of how does the framework assess the requirements for security implementation, as I saw there were elements of both classification and the underlying architecture that you also uh, referenced uh, in, this, sure. in this guide. Um yeah, so as you mentioned, we really we looked at the OSI model uh, in terms of the stack, which, in our opinion, really encapsulated uh, the most detailed version of of an IoT stack or a device protocol stack um, that would allow us to 
analyze and really put out the best product uh, for these these vendors. Um, the main focus of the the document in terms of the protocols is we looked at the application layer protocol and the network layer, um, some of which are in terms of network layer, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, um, ones that we use use daily um, in in our everyday lives. Just simply, I mean, I'm on Wi-Fi right now and using Bluetooth headphones. Um, so it's looking at these protocols and how and and the protocols that these devices use to transport data and transport information and, and really communicate with one another. Um, so we are able to kind of pull together what we believe to be um, the most used in industry. Um, now that isn't to say that, that we're done, we're, our hands are up and, and jobs finished. Um, there's certainly additional pro- protocols that are being developed now um, in both uh, networking uh, application layer I know there's even uh, new transport layer protocols that are becoming updated, like TLS, for instance. It's recommended to use TLS 1.3. And as the protocols are become more advanced and more developed, the IoT devices can't lag behind in that instance. Um, They have to also become more developed and, and maybe there is a need five years down the road for a completely new type of protocol and hopefully five years down the down the line when we're still uh, updating and managing this document we can get that protocol in there so uh, a vendor is able to see what is the latest information out there and really build out that proper stack starting at the lowest level of security to the highest level Uh, iot devices of course, are rather constrained, so we want to be able to to uh, make sure there is security on on not just some of your bigger devices like a smartphone, but all the way down to those little sensors that you might find in a water treatment plant or some of the other uh, industrial control systems or industrial uh, infrastructure systems that Caitlin had mentioned. If I could add, Ben, you raised something, uh, an interesting point. You're using both Bluetooth and Wi-Fi at the same time. One of the other aspects of the document discusses architecture. In some instances, you might be using one particular network protocol on a local network, which might be your headphones to whatever it's attaching to, and then a separate one after you pass through a gateway. So the laptop to your router that would go out to the internet. That type of architectural uh, decision points are discussed in the document in terms of when you might use one protocol versus another, in addition to considerations such as the size of a device, which Ben had mentioned. So you have these uh, architectural considerations, uh, constraint considerations, and those are all laid out very nicely in the document to aid a vendor in making decisions on to, you know, what do they use where? Do they have a gateway in between? Um, what does the communication look like? And what are my objectives so that I can choose the right protocol for my product? Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think also in that space too, and just again, compliments on the document, but one of the other elements that I love about the research this team does 
is the inclusion of the RFC number and literally, you know, the application in the real world in terms of how this exists. Where is it coming from? It's not just elements that we've thought up and brought into here. This is the entire life cycle from really the conception of the underlying protocol all the way through to now what we would consider secure implementation of their respective capability to now be integrated into these respective products, which again, absolutely fantastic. But it also then leads me to this question, Caitlin, again, of reflection of the real world while this comes into play is, you know, can you describe an attack where the implementation of the recommendations described would have prevented um, uh, basically the attack from even being possible? Yes, absolutely. Um, so, so recently, actually, Ben and I presented at a conference on this paper, and we presented a scenario um, related to that question. So, so we shared a pretty recent scenario that um, demonstrates the inherent risk in using IoT solutions that do not have security at the vendor. So, the incident was a breach that took place in 2021 at a water treatment plant in San Francisco. Um, so the attacker basically attempted to poison the water through a remote access tool called TeamViewer. And, you know, we know that remote access points are a pretty common attack point. But what we also found was a clear lack of authentication, access control, um, and logging around plant activity and technical processes that could have signaled some abnormal behavior. So we laid out the steps of the attacker took um, and kind of measured it against the Lockheed Martin kill chain as sort of a, a framework to help us and the audience understand, you know, how far up the stack the attacker was able to go. And then we were able to posit how built-in security measures that we lay out in our guidance could have broken the chain at an earlier point um, and therefore the attack you know could have at least been detected detected rather when the attacker was able to gain uh, that initial access so um, more specifically we put forth some various IOT and communication protocols that are vital to have implemented and updated so something like DNS TLS that Ben mentioned um, Yang, which is a newer version of SNMP. Um, additionally, we recommended using something like MUD or manufacturer usage, usage description, which enables IoT devices to communicate with the networks they connect with, for those that don't know. Um, so, But it's also possible to add a threat signaling layer on top of MUD and uh, profile a device or user. Um, so it can actually also be used for behavioral monitoring and analysis. Um, you could also look at, you know, designing capability-based access control, um, which doesn't require whitelisting or allow listing and can cut down on resources and maintenance and also been a, a detection point, you know, in our San Francisco scenario. So those recommendations we, we lay out in the paper all really lead back to um, the idea of built-in security and, and we believe could at least have led to earlier detection in the kill chain of an attack like the one in San Francisco. And, you know, we're trying to pull those case studies more and more to kind of see where our recommendations fit, so. 
Absolutely. I think it gets to the point that the real world implementation of a respective control and prevention management to be able to display that as a, you know, like you say, a, a case study, a scenario. I mean, it in itself provides the underlying value and that it's, you know, I, again, I mentioned, you know, going from uh, protocol design all the way through to the implementation, but then real world application. Uh, again, it just uh, highlights one, not only the need, um, but again, the value that's being generated with the respective white paper that's being distributed. And then again, you're, you're speaking about it. And I think that's another piece of uh, really CIS's uh, capabilities. The advocacy is, you know, we can provide it, but here's the real world implementation. Here's what we're trying to do. Here's where we're trying to make the connected world and IoT, critical infrastructure, you know, between OT and IT we, we've got a commingling, and IoT is the space that brings those two together. And um, such phenomenal work. And again, going through that analysis and, and the work that you've done there brings about um, really the emphasis to create uh, not only new conversations, but ones that should have been had a long time ago. And I, me and Kathleen, I, I believe we talked about this uh, at one of our podcasts is IoT seems to be, you know, we've kind of stepped back 10, 15 years in terms of security posture, and we're like, well, we catch back up. We've, we've learned these lessons. We shouldn't have to do it again, but ultimately um, there are lessons to be learned. But I think utilizing this capability, utilizing all of the work that this team has done gets us there faster, right? You, you, you've seen really the implementation, obviously, the expertise uh, present here allows that velocity to increase to say, okay, well, that issue existed, but it's not going to take us 10, 15 years. Let's get this done now. Let's go through the secure by design element and really think about it from a uh, life cycle and a phased approach. Um, so again, uh, you know, ultimately just compliments to the work and, uh, you know, obviously the, uh, we want to see it adapted, adopted and displayed through IOT vendor uh, alignment to what you're uh, recommending. And then it leads to another element, Ben, and it's one that you mentioned is IoT, uh, the velocity of change, what we're seeing in the industry. Obviously, it's an impetus for technology to be connected. So what ways do you see the framework needing to adapt constantly to really the evolving landscape of both technology sure. and protocol? In, in, in my opinion, it's kind of twofold. There's the document as it sits now um, is constantly going to be updated as these protocols evolved evolve and also as we get more industry feedback in terms of what's working and and what's not um it the the feedback and the analysis that we've gotten from these industry leading experts that have been involved in this process has been unbelievably helpful in creating the most uh, efficient and uh, thorough document that we were that we could. Um, and this is somewhat of a, a, a call to uh, industry leaders out there and vendors to provide feedback on, on what we have out there. And, and there are definitely ways that we can grow the document in terms of how it sits now and updating the exact protocols um, that are currently mentioned. Uh, we are currently also working on uh, some add-ons in terms of a network 
protocol and also an application protocol, which are Thread and Matter. Uh, those have, in the past year and a half or so, have really picked up steam in terms of, one, interoperability, in terms of the various manufacturers of devices can use these protocols and devices can work seamlessly uh, together, whether it's created by Google, Apple, uh, Microsoft, even Sony, Bose, these types of uh, companies that are creating IoT devices can start using similar protocols that are one secure, but also are compatible. Uh, it, it allows people at home to really use IoT to their, their fullest benefit um, which IoT is certainly the new shiny thing and everyone wants smart homes, smart devices. But it also is going to allow our members, especially from CIS's perspective, uh, to feel confident in buying IoT devices, whether it's a state, local, tribal, territorial government. Uh, these SLTTs uh, can buy devices from various manufacturers that will be secure and will also be able to operate seamlessly together. Um, there is the chance to also create more guidances or more documents down the line that are also more industry specific. As Caitlin had mentioned earlier, there's water treatment plants. Um, there are healthcare instances where IoT is used. And these are all opportunities to create uh, more industry-specific guidance and, and help where these manufacturers uh, may really benefit from more industry-specific guidance. Oh, absolutely. No, I think there's totally a contextualization of respective technologies in, in verticals within the industrial space, no question. And I think it... Um, one leads me to uh, believe that the capabilities that have been described and the recommendations are ultimately an underlying foundation that can be really uh, abstracted to all layers of all IoT. And then, you, you know, respectfully, contextualization come into different verticals, different applications of respective capability within verticals, as it were. And, uh, you know, we tend to, uh, and I do this myself, so that this is... Uh, no issue for anybody out there, but tend to lump critical infrastructure together just to, you know, you kind of get the nuclear power plant in, in your mind and, and that's it. But it's really expansive to the, the fact that there is automation and there is technology integrated into every underlying product to service we consume, you know, from uh, respectfully as a business, a household, an industry. And it just uh, really to think about the underlying capabilities in those spaces that are missing when we then require vendors to step up and integrate uh, both the recommendations you've provided and also the future implementations where we're seeing new capabilities and new technologies, as Caitlin mentioned, as you've self-mentioned, Ben, that we then want to see those mature as well. So there's not only a maturation in the underlying protocols and the services provided that the IoT will integrate into, but then also the method in which the services and the products themselves will then build upon which require, again, I think, a, a an approach that you have provided. And I really think it sets that, that first domino uh, in terms of CIS's approach to helping respective industries, respective vendors 
understand what we're trying to do in this space. And it's, and I, I love what you said, uh, Ben, because it, it was nearly our tagline in terms of confidence in the connected world, because exactly that's what it is. And ultimately, and again, not to disparage any uh, vendors out there, but I'm not sure that the confidence exists in a lot of different spaces, and it needs to because of the vital element that exists here. And this is just highlighting, and there are a lot of great vendors out there doing a lot of great work. Ultimately, though, I see the implementation of this being a differentiator. If you have this, fantastic, there's the confidence. Without it, you know, that, that's kind of a lost leader. You're, you're not going to, you need this in order to stay competitive and in, store, in order to really then abstract to the end user, to, to those that are uh, procuring uh, ultimately those products and services, this is a requirement. And we also, and really the reason I say that, because it's also a great document for consumers to use, to be aware of, of what you should expect from a vendor in this space and how they implement respective controls. So I think it works uh, really both ways in this space. So again, just uh, the way it was written, I think opens up to many different avenues for both consideration and knowledge building in terms of understanding. But then also, I think it leads us into a, a lot of different spaces for the future uh, of the underlying you know, program itself. Okay. So Caitlin, I'll start with you first. This is a big one. So this is one of the recommendations is secure by design. And I've, uh, you know, we, we've, uh, myself and Kathleen have had episodes on secure by design. So how would you stress the importance of this recommendation to IoT vendors? Yes. Um, so, so yeah, obviously you and Kathleen have um, done extensive work in this area, but just to comment as well, I, and to answer your question, secure by design is critically important and an area vendors should be moving towards and optimizing resources for. Um, and CISA recently kind of crystallized some guidance on this. Uh, so for those who don't know, secured by design essentially proposes that you know every technology provider must take ownership at the executive level to ensure their products are both are secure by design, um, so at the product life cycle. Uh, so the goal is that security is implemented in the design phase of that life cycle um, before the products are put on the market. So they don't have to do security add-ons later on which there can be a lot of maintenance needed um, on the consumer end. And uh, many of those consumers may not have the resources to maintain it, like Ben mentioned. Um, so as the IoT landscape advances and increases consumer products, um, it will become more difficult to authenticate and recognize an IoT device as trustworthy, to be honest. So it, it's crucial that vendors of IoT products have a focus on securing at the design phase. Um, we, we think IoT risks are unique because one compromised device not only compromises the data on that one device, but also increases the risk for every other device connected to that network. So you really need security features from the outset to have more um, dynamic authentication. So um, this is an area that we're, you know, really passionate about. We include a bit on in our guidance and are really hopeful that, you know, vendors will continue to take it more seriously. Absolutely. Absolutely. Your thoughts, Ben? Other than seconding everything uh, that Caitlin just, that <laughs> Caitlin just mentioned, uh, I think a big thing is uh, 
consumers, especially if these devices are going through the manufacturing process, built securely by default and design, um, manufacturers can can start um, highlighting that the customers can have kind of a peace of mind. Um, managing these devices, especially at scale, when you're seeing massive smart buildings uh, going up in cities, cities uh, becoming all integrated via interconnected devices, whether it's smart railways, smart uh, train stops, um, we're really seeing an expansive uh, overtaking of IoT. And if a, a city is able to confidently implement these devices, manage them uh, at scale and securely or confidently say the security is at its highest level, that's a big marketing ploy, especially for these vendors. Um, but at the same time, it's it, it certainly should be uh, a standard set across industry uh, to know that what they're putting out is the most secure uh, in the design phase or from the design phase forward. Uh, and when these devices hit market, they're secure. And once they're implemented, they're secure. And if a consumer wants to change some of the settings, they're allowed to, and they can, but if they revert back to a default setting, it's still, that device is still going to be at, at its highest level of security. Um, so it's not only just right off of the press, it's also what the, the consumer chooses to do with, with that, those security settings um, that will really allow us as as civilians and us as just humans be more confident in these devices and know that our data what is being transmitted from my phone to my router to whatever iot uh example you want to give uh that it's safe it's nothing's going to really get transmitted elsewhere or someone is able to to get into my network. Oh, absolutely. No question. So Kathleen, after everything we've discussed and, and, and looking into the future, how do you see IoT security frameworks evolving to tackle emerging threats and challenges? I'm going to step back a little bit and then go forward on the question. And sure. one of the words... I think each one of us have said multiple times during this conversation is the word scale. When you think about IoT, most people think about the enormous scale of the devices because it's frightening. It's frightening to think of the expansive set of devices that's ever increasing and encroaching in parts of our lives where they haven't been used before. Because of this, our minds are a bit more open to the question, how do we manage at scale over time? We're more open to the questions of how do we ensure security is built in by design, by default, and embrace that within this space. Ben had mentioned thread and matter. Those are newer protocols because they're newer, they were designed more recently, they were designed with security baked in. Anytime a new protocol is designed, 
security is one of the major considerations, at least in the Internet Engineering Task Force. You're not going to get it through these days without having major security considerations by design in the protocol. So this means we have a changing landscape in terms of the protocols over time. Older ones will become deprecated. And a guide like the one we put together does help to show not only what are the constraints of a device to help guide what do you pick, what are the network requirements, and of those, what are the choices I have? And the choices are going to continue to get better. I I think somebody, uh, it might have been Ben mentioned, there will be new protocols designed and developed. And that's absolutely the case because there's different use cases and they will emerge. As this happens, this will take years because some IoT devices might last 20 years. We will be in a different threat space for IoT devices. They will be more secure by default, by design. And then something CIS cares in particular about is that they'll be managed at scale over time. And that's something we think about a lot, perhaps a little bit more uniquely than other organizations, because we work with entities that do not have the necessary human resources to manage. And so we're actively thinking about how do we progress technology to help with that problem set along with design and default. In time, let's say we migrate to use of more and more secure protocols. This is a good thing because then the actions needed by each individual distributed organization to manage their security to a framework will reduce. And so an example of that is we have CIS puts out a great guidance document aimed at organizations on CIS controls for IoT. If security is built in, if this theme is adopted further and more secure protocols gain traction, there will be a lower set of requirements in a CIS controls document for IoT on the organization because they should expect it in the product. So instead, they might be looking that a box is checked on their purchase requirement as opposed to worrying about hiring somebody to implement those security controls. In time, my hope or the moonshot is that we migrate to this this view where your IoT security controls are guided by your purchase decisions as opposed to the person managing on your at your end organization and that CIS is really aiding in this shift left so that we are providing this prescriptive guidance that enables secure configurations and benchmarks by design by default managed over time to really aid in this transition wonderful wow well We've set the precedent now, Kathleen, and so we move forward with this team um, to uh, better things, and hopefully we see improvements and maturation in the space based on uh, the work and the future work, as you mentioned. Uh, Again, shifting controls left helps ultimately the operators uh, have more confidence and less work in a lot of cases in order to assess responsibility, capability, and uh, risk treatment. Uh, It's baked in. It's already there. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much uh, to our guests. Enlightening, great paper, more work to come. Thank you so much. And thank you to our audience. Uh, Again, make sure to subscribe in all the usual ways. 
Questions, comments, concerns, podcast ideas, subjects, podcasts at cisecurity.org. And with that, thank you very much. I'll talk to you soon. Thank you for listening to the show today. If you are interested in learning more about how to grow your cybersecurity program, the free tools available to help you on your journey, or to get involved with the CIS volunteer community, visit our website at cisecurity.org. Start secure and stay secure.